Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Ellie Perlman. She has been able to masterfully come from poverty and grow a very big business in multifamily. But I think you're going to get so much from today's episode. We go really deep with Ellie and she gives us so many great nuggets around her journey, her thinking, her approach, and the things that she quite honestly had to overcome to be where she are, where she is today. It's funny because she, she comes from Israel, right? So all the immigrants listening to us, she's a, a story of inspiration, but she gives very specifics on how she was able to step-by-step scale, getting to real estate and then scale to a multi-million dollar business that she's looking to take into a billion dollar business. That's Ali's goal. I used to think working from home was the dream until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace? It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com slash industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com slash industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where our mission is to empower women to live a funny, free, and balanced life. Right, Andressa? That's what Indeed. we are all about. <laughs> yes. And so, day and uh, night. Thank, exactly. Day and night. <laughs> we dream Ellie, about it. <laughs> we do dream about it. I had a great dream. I got to tell you about uh, later. Oh, God. Ellie, uh, thank you so much for being on the sh- show today. We're excited uh, to have you on finally. I think we've We've wanted you to be on the show for quite some time. So we're excited to have you on finally. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Great to jump into her, her journey here in a moment. But we like to get connected to all of you and share something that's coming up for us and give you some, you know, something to take into your day beyond all the great stuff that we're going to go through with our 
amazing guest here, Ellie. So Andressa, what is happening for you? Well, I want to share that Liz, I think seven, eight years ago, who knows, right? <laughs> we started a mastermind with a couple of women. Mindy Jensen was in it even prior of her being hired by Bigger Pockets. <laughs> we walked through that journey with different women and we learned so much about mastermind. But one of the fundamentals that I personally learned is that when we have those internal conversations and we're stuck into what we perceive to be what is holding us back, we're, we're really literally stuck with that thought that we have with ourselves. But when you bring it to the table and you are masterminding around, the word that comes to my head is like dissolves. That thought process, when you're sharing, authentically sharing, and I'm not saying that you need to go to a mastermind and pretend, right? That doesn't work. You really need to play in the arena, be vulnerable in a safe space and, and share. And that happens every time that we have a mastermind with our Strive members. It's really magical to see the evolution of women really feeling more comfortable as the time passes, coming to the arena, really sharing. And many, many times what they thought was the quote unquote issue is actually not. It's actually something else. And then we tend to overthink when we are with our own brain. And the magic that happens when you are sharing with others and just like, oh, seeing a different perspective, plain and simple, you cannot see your blind spot. You need somebody else. You need a tribe. You need a small group of people, somebody that can see you. And, and that is one of the things that Liz and I are very conscious about our investor con coming up on June 23rd and 24th. We want to make sure you are not just doing a transactional networking and meeting other people and say, what do you do? How many properties do you own? And then like, go next. We want to make sure that every single interaction that you have is really meaningful. So with the presentations, the keynotes, the speakers, the exercises that we have, we are stimulated or encouraging those conversations. And for many, it's going to be stepping out of their comfort zone. For many, it's going to be sharing for the first time something that they choose to care about or a great idea that they have that they're stuck. The bottom line is that we have your back and we know what's going on in our community. We see the needs and we created this conference based on women's needs, desires, and challenges. So get ready to be challenged during our conference and get ready to make meaningful connections. It's not going to be a, a, a networking event because we know the power of, of networking and we're going to have a live mastermind so you can really experience the power of, of masterminding. And it's one of my favorite moments because I don't know what's going to happen. That's one of the things that it's not going to be planned, right, Liz? So we might have tears. We might have laughs. We might curse a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen? It's yeah. live. So unpredictable. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Um, and all the all the above usually. Above. And I'm sure, Ellie, you've done your share of masterminding to get to where you've gotten over your journey here, which we're excited to, to, to jump in with you. We always like to kind of kick things off is what what propelled you? to begin investing in real estate? What, well, that's, that's a good question. It takes me back many years. Um, I grew up in a pretty uh, poor setting and my family was, was pretty poor. And I think when, when you're struggling financially, you have two options. You either 
let yourself feel, you know, be the victim and say, you know, others have, I don't, I'm the poorest kid in class. I was always laughed at because, you know, I was poor and, you know, that's one way of experiencing this. Or you can say, wait a minute, what can I do to improve my situation? How can I not be poor? And I remember I was pretty young when I understood where my family was. And I think I was 11, 10 or 11 years old. And then I started looking around and started to observe. Um, and as I grew, as I grew up, I was, I've noticed that many wealthy people that I've heard of, or I didn't really meet anyone wealthy, but that I, that I knew about or heard of or read on the news, they were all investors. And I think I was pretty, I would say, obsessed with patterns and trends. And, uh, you know, from a very young age, and I tried to understand what's the common denominator to all those people, all these successful people, these successful families. And I realized that investing and specifically in real estate is, is the, the thing that was shared between all the, the families that were creating wealth, whether it was back in Israel when I was, you know, where I'm from, or actually internationally. And realizing this, I said, okay, this, that would be my ticket out. I didn't know how and, and how long it's going to take, you know, what to do exactly. I didn't figure, obviously I was, you know, I was pretty young, but just observing, you know, experiencing some pain, dealing with financial you know, difficulties and going through that journey and looking at outside and saying, okay, these people do not share my pain. What do they do differently? How can I get there? That's the thing that kind of pushed me to start thinking about investing, thinking about real estate and educating myself. And that that's basically how that was the the um, that that was the thing that actually um, made me start thinking about it and start planning my life accordingly. And of course it took years and years, tens of years to get there. But that was were the you, beginning. Were you born in Israel or yeah, I was born in Israel. Yep. And when did you come? I came to the US that was March of 2014. I came here to business school with a real estate lawyer back in Israel because as I mentioned, I wanted to be in real estate. I didn't know how. And I thought like many uh, people today that you have to be rich to own real estate. And I didn't have money. Uh, I was a huge nerd and I was an A student. I said, you know what? Education is, you know, is the way because I, I got my brains. I got nothing else. And so I decided to become a lawyer and uh, specialized in real estate and in international real estate. So I was I was learning a lot about real estate outside of Israel. So a lot of, you know, large multifamily and retail um, and office projects, you know, in, in, you know, around the world. And that's, that, that's how I thought that would be, you know, that that would be the first steps in real estate. And very quickly I realized, you know what, I'm, this is not where I should be because I was meeting with clients that were going and buying real estate. And I, I felt that I wanted to be on the other side of the table during the meetings where we were discussing the deal, but I had no idea how to get, you know, money to, to even put a down payment on, on, you know, on a house. I didn't even, I couldn't even own my own house. I was even then struggling to pay rent, even as a lawyer, but that was the way that that's how I, I started dipping my toes in real estate. And then I thought, you know what I need? I need to invest more in my education. I need to start looking into business. And that's what brought me to the U.S. I applied to uh, multiple business schools and got admitted to uh, a really good school here in the U.S. and moved here in 2014 and the rest is history. That's so funny. We have similar stories. I remember when I came and I saw 
now I know where it is and the value of the, the neighborhood, but I stayed with a, a, a family while I was going to school. And I thought I was like, oh my gosh, they are damn rich. They're rich. They have stairs in their house. <laughs> that was my measurement of rich. In, in, in Brazil, we have plenty of land in the country, of course. So the houses are, are ranch style, right? Yeah. So everybody that has stairs in their house, oh my gosh, you have stairs. That's a big deal. So I know right now that those houses were like 250,000, max 300,000. And oh my gosh, they have two cars. It's oh yeah. Like the two they're cars, yeah. rich. And I remember having this conversation with the father of the house. It's like, we're not rich. It's like, how can you afford house with stairs. So it's like, how else? Like we're in New Jersey. That's, that's what happened over here. So it's like, okay. So there's a lot of things that I carry over from Brazil coming here that are just like in me. And then when you come across rich dad for that book and like, what do you mean? You don't need to be rich to own real estate, right? It's just like, whoa, the shock to me, the book was this awakening. I'm curious yeah. to, to hear from you what made you really literally break the ceiling and start investing? Well, there are two things. One is actually the book that you've mentioned, uh, Rich Epport, which I've heard a lot about. You know, I, I've heard a lot about the book and I thought, you know, what else can it teach me? And I was curious. And then I picked the book and I said, you know what, I'm just going to read it. And I also read the following one, the four quadrants about, you know, the em employee, self-employed, business owner and an investor and it just opened my mind because I it changes the way you see the world from the career, you know, um, you know, view. And that really opened my mind and understanding that if you really want to be successful and wealthy, successful, yes, you can be an employee, successful employee. But if you want to be well, really wealthy, you got to move out of that very comfortable, you know, uh, piece of the quadrant and being an employee, you know, I got here, I went to MIT and I started making money that I've never made before. Six figures was beyond my wildest dreams, you know, making more than a hundred thousand dollars. I was making 20, maybe $20,000 that, you know, in Israel. And it was very, very scary to move from that, you know, that box from, from that very cozy, comfortable, you know, position. I was working in the tech industry um, right after graduation, I was not working very hard, uh, you know, but they, they gave me, you know, work to do. And I, I finished it pretty quickly. And then I was home by 4, 4.30 and I was bored. And that, that's the thing that kind of shifted my, I think my mindset again, because when you don't have money, all you can think of is how do I make money? You're, you're just obsessed with money. And, and that's where I was. And I'm not ashamed to admit it because I didn't have it. And once I started making money and then I, I was comfortable, I wasn't worried about how am I going to pay my, my rent and my credit card bills. And I was huge. And I was, I think, 28 or 29 at the time. And once you start making money, you're starting to think, okay, this is, money is not enough. It, this is a little bit boring. And I wanted to challenge myself. And I actually had dreams to, to go back to real estate and, and kind of, you know, do the full circle and go back to my dream of owning real estate. And, you know, because I had a lot of free time, I was, I started reading books and I picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad and had that aha moment. And I, I started listening to podcasts, started attending local events in, in Los Angeles and started realizing that I don't 
want to continue in that path and they actually want to take the risk and go into real estate. And so for me, the, the pivotal moment, I remember I was actually driving to a local a local meeting, local um, conference about buying single family homes from the courthouse and flipping them. I think it was a fix and flip conference. And I was listening to a podcast and it was a guy that was on the podcast that was talking about how he buys 50 and 70 and $100 million deals. And I was hooked. I remember sitting in the parking lot, not getting, being late to the conference and, and just listening because it was so fascinating how he can scale, how he raises money from investors and how, you know, how he builds his business. And I knew right there, okay, okay that, that's what I wanted to do. But this, the book, Richard Porta definitely, you know, had an influence on me and definitely opened my eyes and was kind of a, played a very important role in, in you know, where I am today. Ellie, you, you manage and, and own over 2,000 units. So what was that first deal like? you know, no, no experience, no, not, you know, you're, you're taking all this, you know, you get this pivotal moment and and then you acted on it, which I think is really, really important for women to get is that we, we have to listen to our intuition when we get those moments to act and just to take some action. So what was the next thing you did after that? What was that first property project? How, how did you get into the, to the game of especially this multifamily game? I knew that I didn't have the tools to just buy real estate with investors' uh, money. I was it was okay if I risked my money, but putting investors' money at risk was not something I wanted to do. And going back to education, um, which is kind of my comfort zone, I said, you know what, I need to pay someone to teach me how to do this. I know how to run, you know, models and and how to analyze things, you know, from my times at, at MIT, but I didn't know how to raise money from investors. I didn't know how, okay, now I bought a deal. The, the numbers, you know, make sense. How do I manage it? What do I do? And actually did some research for months on just mentors that were out there that were doing the things that I wanted to do. And I picked a mentor. And I remember I had, a, after I paid him, I had $258 left in my account but I took I took the risk and it paid off. And I think it was uh, five or six months later that I found myself competing on a deal with him. We were both the two investors, two potential buyers. And that Sticky was a big, situation. Yeah, a bit of an uncomfortable situation. And, and I remember calling him and saying, hey, can you guide me through this? How can I get this deal? I'm, I'm competing on this deal and, and you know, I'm really excited about it. It's a really good deal, really good market. And he basically said... <sighs> We're competing for the same deal. So I cannot guide you on this one. You know, we have to keep it professional. Of course, I understood. Um, I lost the deal to him because obviously he had, you know, more experience. And I actually got the call from him before the I got the call from the broker. And he said, hey, do you want to partner on the deal? And that's how I made the first deal. And I was very comfortable with it because I wasn't responsible for everything from start to finish. And my lack of experience in multifamily specifically was not relevant because I was partnering with someone with a lot of experience. So I found how to bring value and, and I did. And I took a small part of that deal. Didn't really make, I mean, I made money on it, but not as nearly as the other guys, which I did not care at all. It was not about the money. It was about making the first deal and starting you know, to grow from there. And I'm never focus on how, you know, the dollar that I'm making today, because if you're focused on the right things, meaning 
your investors and making sure that the tenants are happy, the properties are thriving, the money will come. And it's not a cliche. It's actually, that's actually what's happening. Uh, if you treat the tenants, employees, and investors right, the money will follow. And it, it's a much, I think, healthier mindset. And um, I kind of found, you know, figured it out pretty early on. That was my first deal, just partnering with someone that was more experienced. And, you know, I heard you, uh, you know, guys talking about the conference, the mindset that you're, that you have in June, which is great because all the deals that I've done ever, um, I always partnered with people that I met while I was traveling the U S going to conferences. And it wasn't about it. You can feel who's saying, okay, I need to meet 15 people and, and nobody remembers you. It's not a meaningful conversation or a connection. You just click with some people and then you spend time. And sometimes I would go to a conference and just have a really good conversation with two or three people. Then we partner up, you know, then we keep in touch and we will send deal to one another. What do you think about this? And what do you think about that deal? And then we just started, you know, JVing and partnering on deals. And that's how, that's why I built, you know, my business basically on human interaction, human connection and First year, just flying everywhere to every conference. And then I knew, okay, this conference is kind of a little bit of a waste of time. This is a great conference. These or this, you know, sometimes when you go to a conference, it's, you, find, you meet your people because they travel to the same yeah. conference. And it's kind of fun to see them. Absolutely. Especially right now after COVID, right? Everybody yeah. is tired of virtual. Not uh, after about, COVID yet. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I think that when you think about like the first deal, right? The mindset of like breaking the ceiling and getting that out of the way. I totally agree with you in terms of that is so important. Of course, you're not going there to lose money, but the the learning lesson and the concept of, okay, I got it. I got into the game and that that's we go. Next step, let's talk about scaling. Because a lot of yeah. women, there's a challenge in terms of scaling because then it's an Again, now you're a rookie because you're taking to the next level. Either you are duplicating what you're currently investing or you're pivoting or you're leveraging and investing in different different types of projects. For you, when you thought about scaling, what are the steps that you took or you put in place in order to make sure that you were, quote unquote, aligned with your purpose, but also honoring your, your risk tolerance your criteria and all the other items that you put in place? That's a great question. And, and again, I was inspired by the four quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki and realized that if I'm going to do everything, I'm going to be, it's, I'm not going to be a business owner. I'm more self-employed because, and, and the difference is for those of you who haven't um, read it is that when you're self-employed, if you think about a consultant or someone or, you know, an independent attorney or um, an accountant, if you don't work, you don't make money. If you get, and that's, you know, and some people think that they own a business, but if they, if they're gone for a month vacation, a month long vacation, there's no money coming in because they're not producing income. So that means you are not a business owner, you're self-employed. And I wanted to be a business owner. And so the first couple, I would say two to three months, I did everything for two reasons. A, I didn't have money to, or, or I wasn't really willing to spend money um, on hiring people to help me scale. And the second thing was, I didn't really know who I needed to hire and what, you know, what qualities and, and experience exactly, you know, I need to look for. So I was underwriting deals. I was speaking with lenders. I was visiting and walking properties. I was talking to investors. 
Um, I did, you know, basically everything. And then after two or three months, I sat down and said, okay, from this is how the business ideally is going to look like. I want to start it from, from scratch as a business, set up as a business. Where do you think you need to focus on as the head of the business? For me, it was very clear that that was investors and bringing capital. And for two reasons. One, I thought I was good at it and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting people and talking with them. And, and I wanted to stay focused on that. The second thing is just like what I've learned um, back in my days of business school, you know, one of the main jobs of a CEO is to, is to bring money, is to hire people and, to, and bring money and set up the strategy of the company. And I was stating up the strategy. Uh, I had a whiteboard behind me and I wrote down all the different functions, what these what needed to be to happen to get a deal. So I need to I need to raise money, I need to underwrite deals, I need someone to manage the deal. And I said, okay, I want to be here. I want to be where the money is. I want to raise money from investors. So I need to find a solution for the other uh, parts of, of the business that I, I, I'm either not good at or don't want to spend time on. And it could be that, you know, if someone likes numbers and, you know, and is more of an introvert, then maybe doing the analysis part is what they want to do. But again, this is for the intermediate part before you really become the CEO or, or, uh, manager of, of a, a company. And then I started hiring people to help me. So I hired an underwriter and I paid them by the hour at first. And I was looking still for deals and then send it to them and asked, hey, can you underwrite this deal and that deal? And slowly I gained more traction and I did more deals and I hired more people. So, you know, today my company basically does everything from raising capital, finding and sourcing deals managing the assets and disposing of them after three to five years or 18 months sometimes with, with uh, the market that we have today. But I really started by just writing down what are the different tasks and di- tasks and different missions, you know, what do I need to achieve in order to scale? And then I started, you either need to hire or partner for the parts in the business that you don't want to be or cannot be involved with because there's, your time is pretty limited. And it will help if you're going to have a very specific goal in mind. My goal was to become a billion-dollar company. And I said, I'm going to take you know 10 years to get there. And then I reverse-engineered it and said, okay, in order to become a, a billion-dollar company, what do I need to do in the first 10 years to get there? And then scale back to five years, three years, and one year. And so what do I need to do every month? I'm going to be on track to get there. And of course, things change so much and so quickly, but it puts when you put a number in a specific numerical measurable target, it's much easier to set immediate goals and take actually immediate actions. Because Lizzie asked what were the actions you took. You can sit and you know think about it and, and, and dream. And it's good to dream. But if you don't have actual goals, it will be very, very hard to achieve those dreams. So that's, that's basically what I did. In terms of, in terms of hiring... <clears throat> What have been the biggest lessons that you've learned? <laughs> oh, so many. They all keep, not... cool. they come with guarantee, Liz. Uh, yeah. Return them. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, right. I, I didn't get that memo, so I figured Ellie Ellie's got some some secrets for you us that we can the use. Tag too. the tag. They <laughs> yeah. come with guarantee, and yeah. then you return. When you find those, let me know. Um, okay. <laughs> I've been reading so many books about it, and it's one of the things that I'm always striving to improve. There's a great book called uh, The Who, which really explains how, you know, what's the best way 
to hire, what questions to ask, and how to really understand who they were. One of the, the biggest mistakes that I've done, actually two of them come to mind. One is I was looking for the cheaper employee, the one that I could, you know, kind of mitigate my risk. So I'm not paying, you know, $35 an hour, I can pay 20. You pay for it in uh, deals that were never closed, in mistakes that are done. So if you think you are saving money, you're not. It's better to to use your savings, in my opinion, or to even take a business loan to get someone really good that can, it's like an investment, like anything else. If you want investors to believe in you, to invest in a property, you should believe in yourself to invest in your business as well, if you believe in yourself. And I think one of the things that I, I was still trying to manage it on a budget, which was hard. The second mistake was focusing too much on their actual experience. Say, oh, this guy has been underwriting deals for 10 years or seven or three years. He did multifamily, he's going to be great. And not focus on character and cultural fit because that can be very frustrating when you have, when you hire someone that you don't, you don't really vibe with, that you don't see things eye to eye. So if there's a deal and you need something you need to tweak the underwriting and get back to the broker right away because he's waiting for to hear back from you. And then only, and you have about two or three hours to get back to him. So he'll tell you if you got into the best and final round. But the guy is basically, you know, it's five, it's past 5 p.m. and he doesn't work after five. For me, it's not a good hit. Jesus, if, I, I, I get chill. I, I, I like, I get goosebumps <laughs> when I hear it. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or same things like, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. The, the market is, that's where the market is, is, you know, everyone is struggling with this. I do not ex accept it because if I said that, I would be in a very, very different place. Right. Um, we would be in Israel. Israel. Yeah. I would be in yeah. Brazil. Yeah. We wouldn't have this conversation right now if we're just like, yeah, it is what it is. It so is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Still struggling to pay my credit card bills. That's what I would, that's where I would be if I had the same mindset. So focusing on the cultural fit and character is so important. It's almost as important as actual experience. So I love that. And, and, you know, I, I used to do a lot of consulting and in working with so many company owners and, and leaders, that was one of the hardest things to identify during the interview process, you know? And I'm, so I'm curious to hear from you because the cultural fit, I think most people want that. And they know it's one of those things that you know when you don't have, but it's yeah. after the fact, right? Right. So no, it's not a cultural fit, but it's not like this clear thing at the beginning. So how have you navigated that? How can the women listening say, okay, this is maybe what criteria I could put in place, questions I can ask. How do I even, because I'm sure you had to do some soul search and say, what culture do I want to create for me to even get someone to fit that culture? That was usually one thing that we went through with our clients and things. But I'm curious what you did, because that's an important one. And I don't think it's very clear for women to even figure that out. So how have you navigated that for, for you and your company? Yeah, it, it actually took me months to realize what are my, what's the core values of the company? You know, what is the culture that I was trying to build and cultivate? And for me, it started from within. And I started thinking, okay, what do I stand for? Who am I? What do I you know, how do I operate? How do I feel? How do I think? What are my values? Because I wanted my company to be to be shaped in my values. So for instance, being bold is one of them. And many decisions in my life were just, you know, taking risks and being bold. And that's one of the things that I'm looking for. So I started writing down the things that, you know, describe me and the things that I'm aspiring to and created values this way and then said, okay, 
I want to have, for instance, I was talking about being bold. I want to have someone who is bold. So I was actually Googling questions. You know, you can Google questions that you can ask uh, during an interview to figure out if someone is blank, you know, bold, uh, you know, work ethic. There's all kinds of criteria. And I was asking those questions. And again, you get some were, were a major hit and it really helped me understand, you know, you know, you can ask something as simple as tell me about time at work that you were bold and did something that was kind of uncomfortable. Based on the answer, some candidates, you know, right away, but they're not a good fit. If, if this is their idea of being bold, then, you know, this is not the right fit for me. And this is important for me because you have to be bold to be different in my eyes. And I want my company to be different. And some people are really great at giving, you know, letting you hear what you want to hear. So you do the reference check and you ask kind of similar questions and you hope that you made the right assessment, but slow to hire. It's very painful to have someone, as much as it is painful to have, to not have someone fill out, a, fill out a certain gap in your organization, it's much, much more challenging and painful to have the wrong person because then you need to deal with the emotional burden you know, managing someone who's not a good fit and then letting them go and bringing someone else a lot more, um, a lot more challenging. I used to think working from home was the dream until it wasn't between the distractions and the solitude. I was struggling, but then I discovered industrious office and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace is not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com slash industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com slash industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious. It's where your best work happens. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I agree. As we grow our team, I also evolved as a leader. And I went from giving the SOPs like step by step into talking to people about projects that I'm not necessarily the expert there and I don't want to be. Yeah. And I want you to tell me, what do you think we should do? Instead of this being like, I'll tell you exactly what it is. And a red flag to me is when somebody tells me, tell me exactly what you want me to do and then I'll do it. That's a red flag to me because if that was the case, then I would do it. And I'm not playing that game and I, and I don't want to do it, but I also take responsibility for it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Is that the perception that you got from me? I need to take responsibility for that interpretation and just step back. We can talk strategy. But the execution, the problem solving, I want to hear from you because I hire you for your expertise, creativity, and I want you to gather the vision where we are going. But if I have to micromanage somebody, and that goes from general contractors to whoever we work with, if I have to micromanage, to me, now the stage of, of, of my life is the time. If I'm spending too much time correcting or adjusting, Ooh, that is a red flag to, to yeah. me that I was like, it's just not a good fit. And it can be for other people, but it's just not a good fit. So spending time on, on talking and understanding their personality, but also us, right? I think as we grow older, our mindset is like, okay, this is not a good fit. We need to cut this to the chase, yeah. move along and go for it. For me, I want to hear from your perspective, your mindset, you've been big on mindset since then, right? Where you are right now, I don't know you, but we're doing a lot of work <laughs> still, you know, different, different areas. But I'm curious to the high level that you're playing the field, what type of mindset work you are currently doing to continue thriving to your business? I think I was, well, naturally from a very young age, I think my man, my mindset was that anything is possible in if you envision it, you're just you're just gonna get there. And it's not that you're just gonna get there. You envision it enough and have conviction that you will get it, then you're gonna start making decisions, I would say consciously and subconsciously that will get you there. So that was always my mindset. I don't know if I do any specific work besides just deciding this is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna get to, you know, a certain company in the size that I want. Uh, whether it is take it public in 10 years or bring some private equity, you know, money and, and grow it, you know, internally and create a really massive company. I just see it. And then I, I, because I assume that this is, I accept it as the truth and the reality that will happen. Then I prepare for it. It's the same as I'm, you know, I'm preparing for the fact that tomorrow, you know, when it's, when it's 7 PM today, but tomorrow the sun is going to shine. So I just go to bed because I know, okay, I need to go to bed now. It will shine tomorrow. And it's not, it's not being vain. Uh, It's just deciding that, you know, 
this is going to be my reality and then I'm going to act upon it. You either do that or you let reality dictate what it will be for you. And I just chose the first, you know, option. So that's the mindset that I do. I just keep, keep believing and keep taking it not for granted, but as the, the absolute truth, which it, it does come with some challenges because when you take steps that don't exactly work, it can be frustrating because you don't understand. I mean, it's like when you can go to sleep and it's 2 a.m. and you tw- twist and turn, it doesn't sit well with, with you because you know the morning won't come and you're going to be tired. So it's kind of similar to that. It doesn't come without any challenges. But the mainly the mindset is, this is where I'm going to. This is for sure going to happen. So I shouldn't be too scared to pay someone six figures so he can join my team so we can be the best team that we can. Or I shouldn't be you know, afraid buying a huge, you know, 500 units, for instance, back in July of 2020, when no one was buying real estate or May 2020, because I know that this, I'm doing the right thing, because I know for a fact, it's going to, to the company is going to thrive and grow. And it makes you feel more comfortable taking risks when you don't see the end, or, or, or a clear vision, and taking a risk is very, uh, can be really scary, because you don't know what's what's going to happen and you never do but you're not willing to to risk it because you think you're more likely to fail mm-hmm. but my baseline is that I'm more likely to succeed and that's why and I'm fighting every day to keep to, for for that to be true um but that's the mindset basically that I have I, I love that talked about your baseline right and that propelled you to be very confident about what are you doing because you see it yeah. You, you see it and then you do it. Where does that come from though? I think my parents, I think when I was little, they kept telling me, you can do whatever you want. You can just do whatever you want. And, and they behaved accordingly. They instilled this confidence in me. And I really believed as a kid that I can do whatever I want, uh, whatever I wanted. And that stuck with me. So I still think I can do whatever I set my mind to it. And, and, it, and uh, once, you know, you're so young and you're so impressionable and your parents, you know, keep telling you that you start believing in it. And I think this is where it came from. Otherwise, I have no idea. I, I, I believe that that's, that's where it came from. That's great. That's great. You know, I, I want to just piggyback on the power of visualization that you were mentioning, because in, in essence, you know, our our subconscious doesn't know if that visualization is 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 correct or not. So that's what's so right. powerful. And I remember learning first about visualization in my 20s. And, you know, they, you know, all the research, like this is so much research because so many athletes do this. They see the completion of the act. And I started doing that with sales when I was in consulting and I saw me, you know, closing the sale. And I'm like, is this crazy that I'm doing this? But then I'm like, no, this is what the research shows. And then, and then you just do more and more of it. And you're, what would I, what, why, why I'm saying that women listening, it's not foo-foo. It's real stuff. And it's actually yeah. scientifically backed. I don't know all the statistics to tell you right now, but if you Googled, if you Googled it, there's a ton of research on the power of visualization. And if you're not doing that now, I, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, Andressa, but I've been like getting pumped lately. I like see you and I like relaxing the day after the conference and all these sponsors and all these women and all this transformation. And that is what I'm holding. And that is what where I'm, are we at the pool? We're at the pool. I, that's We're where having I a see drink. I'm having a glass of wine. <laughs> a few of them. But I, but my yep. point is saying that, and, and I'm saying that because this is our inaugural in person. We've been hired an event planner. This is a big deal. This is a, a big event. And it's not coming with any sort of challenges. I'm not going to, like anything, when you stretch yourself, challenges are going to come up even more. So 
where the visualization, that new deal, that next multifamily, you got to hold a visualization. You got to see it complete and you got to get excited because if you don't hold that, you're going to let every challenge just rip you apart and you're not going to be pumped about the next thing. So I just want to mention that as something that I've carried throughout my life. And when when I'm late, when I'm kind of going back and forth where I'm a little like, I don't know, my little, you know, put pity party, we all have them. I'm like, I'm not holding a visualization right now. Even the toughest projects we had to like renovate, me and my husband, no buyers in sight, no money in sight. You know, I thought we we're going to go bankrupt, honestly, was one of the projects that, that was in our, our history. We didn't. We thrived because I held the visualization. So I just want to say that as a, as a reminder for all those women that might think that stuff is just made up. It's not. And Ellie, clearly you're like, I don't, I see that as my reality. That, that's powerful. You're going to get there with your billion dollar company. It's awesome. I wanted to transition to a little bit about, you know, as, as you navigate multifamily, you're, you're at the forefront right now. And there's a lot happening multifamily, especially since COVID it's gotten crowded. We're in multifamily as well. So it's just the market's gotten crowded. Yeah. The amount of underwriting has increased, right? And you're doing deals. So are we, and, and I, I want to, I'm curious to hear your perspective about what's happening with the market in multifamily and what do you see? What are you putting in place now to just, you know, transition or just set yourself up for success? Like what are some key things that you've been doing lately um, to just, you know, be mindful of all the competition that's in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the market is crowded and cap rates are still, they're still pretty, uh, they have compressed and it put a lot of pressure on cash flow and, and returns in general. I see, you know, and I also see other deals um, that other sponsors are putting out there. I'm being very careful about what I present to investors. I always like to be very conservative and I prefer to have a conversation when investors are saying, you know, 6% or 5% cash on cash, that's too low for me. I'm going to go with someone else who, you know, has a 9% or 8% cash on cash. I prefer to have that conversation over presenting a higher cash on cash to lure investors and then have the conversation. I actually can't pay you that much, only 5%. So we're, because we're being very conservative, we're actually buying slower than most. But what, what's happening out there is actually surprising because rents are still increasing. They're in, they increase by 20, 30, 40%, which is pretty insane. But on the other hand, you also have payroll costs that are going up. People, you know, in order to hire people, you need to pay them more. So it doesn't balance out exactly because you do have more cash flow on some assets than what you, you know, anticipated. But some of them, if you invest in the right market, you will see you know, you will see success. You will be able to to hit your target returns in markets like, you know, North Carolina, some in South Carolina, the Atlanta market, for instance. They're really good markets where people, we just follow data. We follow where people move to and where businesses move to and where rents are growing. And this is where where we want to be in and where we want to invest. And we we made a bet on, the, on Atlanta three or four years ago and it, and it paid off. We just read... The, the data we read the numbers, and so you know, in terms of the market, we are what we do today. We've uh, expanded the acquisition scheme, so we're looking at more markets now. So we've expanded that scope and our bandwidth, and we keep adding and removing markets. We're not just stuck to one market because markets do change. You know, Jacksonville used to be a great market after the two thousand and seven crash, and hasn't you know hasn't been. You know, that's strong in my opinion in terms of the demand drivers. I haven't seen 
a huge migration of people and companies there. So right now the the demand is moderate over there. So it's less of an interesting market to me. Some markets like, you know, some markets like, uh, you know, Mandarin are very, very interesting to me. But in general, it was a market that used to be very interesting to me and now not so much. So we keep looking at um, the data and the numbers and let the data guide us to where we want to be in. So that's what we do. We try not to be overly focused on certain markets and stick to them for years. We try to let the data guide us. You know, that's one of the things that we do on top of just thinking outside of the box and and trying to really react when things happen to make sure that we have that we can that we have the tools to to deal with things like increasing vacancies or increasing costs of materials, for instance. So what do you do when materials, you know, costs keep increasing 20, 30 percent? What do you do? So just planning ahead of time is is also something that we do in order to reduce the uh, the risk that we're taking and the, the negative impact on investments. Great, and it is it is something that is fluid. You know, market. Yeah. You know, market. And I, I don't think enough investors know that because we think hold, think this is like a one and done, and I'm going to stay in it forever. And that's not it. Always works. That's um great perspective, Ellie. This has been great. We got to have you back on to to dive into more and more topics together. Yeah. Um, where can uh, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow you along your your bold journey? <laughs> Absolutely. So you can Google my name, Ellie Perlman. My website is bluelake-capital.com. Um, and you can read about my story. There's some uh, free education that I put there also if you want to kind of educate yourself and learn a little bit more. Um, whether you're a, a young sponsor or a passive investor. But yeah. I think Google and, and my website are the best ways to read about me, to read about real estate in general, multifamily in specific, and maybe even to reach out. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. And now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Ellie, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I know you probably heard that before. This one and also the one thing by Gary Keller, who built Keller Williams. And teaches you know business owners how to focus on the one important thing to make sure their business you know grow and I've implemented that and it was great. Yeah, that's an awesome book by Gary and Jay Papasan. And Wendy Papasan is going to be one of our keynotes for our investor con. Just want to put it out there. She's just amazing as he is too. The second question is. What's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? I find, you know, the time to spend it with friends and with my uh, with my partner, my husband. It's really easy for me to just work until 1 a.m., 3 a.m., midnight. I don't feel how the time flies, but sometimes you got to stop. And also, you know, it helps you get, you know, fresh look and fresh perspective um, I like to take walks and my husband and I started doing that when COVID hit and we kind of, we, we, um, we like that. That's kind of the silver lining for us. And he, he involved in, you know, in a different business than I am. And we like to strategize together, share information, share books and, and kind of, uh, discuss it, just like two business owners, you know, talking to one another. Um, so I, I like to do that. And this is kind of my, my, my haven. I, unfortunately, I can't really, you know, travel internationally. Which I try not to during COVID. So I used to go to uh, and take uh, surf trips 
and, and ski trips. And that was also nice uh, because it really forces you when you're in nature, you can't cheat and sit outside by the pool and uh, under or go over underwriting, go over, you know, deal with your team. You kind of force you're in the water, you're sitting on the board. Not, you know, there's no you can it helps even not to think about the business, you know, sometimes for, for, for a bit. And sometimes I do need it. So when I come back, I have all those ideas and it's, it's kind of fresh and, and clean in my mind. So that's so cool. That is the truth, right? You're surfing. You, if you don't concentrate, you're just not going to be, you're not even yeah. concentrated, like be present, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get like underwater all the freaking oh, yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good strategy. I'm thinking about what are the things that I really need to be there So my brain, my body, my soul, it's there. So I'm not somewhere else. Uh, yeah. Last question yeah. is, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? I think Oprah Winfrey did. I like her story because she was trying to break into the entertainment industry and got rejected over and over. And people doubted her and said, you know, you're never, I remember, I don't remember who said it, but she, she was telling the story that one of the producers, I think, of a show said, you're never going to make it in the TV industry. You know, you don't have, you'll have what it, You don't have what it takes. And she did not listen. Ladies, don't listen, you know, to, to the naysayers and the doubters. And sometimes they do it out of love and care because they think you might fail. They're really believing that. And it's got nothing to do with you. It, it's projection or things that they've been going through in their lives. I've always ignored the, you know, those who, who have doubted um, whether I should do it. You know, I, I had a mentor in Israel that said, don't, don't go to the U.S. You're never going to make it. And I said, why? And he said, you know, you're not a white man and only white men succeed in business and real estate. I thought it was a terrible thing to say. And he also did not know anything. And I realized, wait a minute, he's Israeli. He, he never succeeded as a businessman. And he never, he never, he was never here. He never lived here. So he cannot give me the right advice because he's not, successful in in that arena that I'm looking to get advice you know on so he was my mentor for other things for you know the the type of industry that I was in back in Israel and he was successful in that industry but not in real estate and not um not in the U.S. Mm-hmm. so the one thing I keep telling people that when you do get advice pay attention to who you're getting the advice from if they're successful in the area where you're getting the advice from then you want to listen um, but if they're not you know it's I would not get a um, business advice from someone who has been bankrupt for five times and could not run a business, right? It, it, it's very natural that, you know, what he can share with you is probably not, maybe, maybe learn from mistakes, but it's, it's very similar. People who have never bought real estate or ran businesses cannot really give you the right advice because they've never done it. And they're sometimes speak out of, you know, they, they let their fears manage them and talk and give you that advice. So. Great stuff. Ellie, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your journey with us. And all the women listening, uh, really, really appreciate your time and appreciate you opening up and sharing so much with us and our community. So thank you. Absolutely. Lise, Andres, it was great being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion. 
so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.